0: I remember uh, going to church camp as a teenager and just getting fired up, and and what would be interesting is, uh, I mean, even as an adult going to conferences, it would, it, the same thing would happen. Uh, even, you know, talking about the Breathe, uh, you know, retreat for a woman, you know, you go to these events, you spend so much, uh, so much more time with God. Uh, it's not that God's changed, uh, it's not necessarily that you've changed, but you're just focusing so much more on God, worshiping him, spending uh, a deeper amount of time with him. And I remember I would always come back from, you know, camps like uh, Fuge or Center Kid and and, and come back and I'd have fresh vision and strength to move forward. But when I got home, inevitably the same thing would always happen. I'd get in a fight with my sisters, all right? Or my parents would you're like, oh, you got to clean up your room. I was like, I just had an amazing time with God, and you're making me want to clean up my room, and, you know, I was like, you know, stop pointing me away from the Lord, and, you know, it's just kind of, you know, you would, you would say things like this, right, and it's just like, oh, like, everything just got ruined. It's like the day after vacation, you know, you open your inbox, and you're like, oh, why did I open my, why, why does email even exist, right? We have these moments where we're, we feel so connected to God, and then it's like, poof, it vanishes, um, well, it's, it's just interesting because in this series that we're doing right now, Walking Through Genesis, uh, last week we looked at Genesis 15. And Genesis, Genesis 15, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's, let's turn to that. Genesis 15 was kind of like that mountaintop experience, right? It was like Abraham met the Lord. He had doubt. He worried. Uh, he met the Lord. He, he, he had alternate plans, and he met the Lord. God interrupted him, and you see how he... Uh, just really experienced God there. I mean, it was that mountaintop experience. And then Genesis 16 happens. He comes back uh, to reality. Time passes from that mountaintop experience into normal, everyday life. And, And we see here with Moses that he has a hard time remembering, interpreting, and understanding the promises that God had spoken to him. It's not that God didn't speak to him, right? It's not that God doesn't speak to us today, but he forgets. He misinterprets. Uh, he misinterprets the timing. So let's look at Genesis 16. And uh, we're going to have it here on the screens, but what we're going to do here is we're going to uh, dig pretty deep into a fir- the first few verses. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, let's, uh, let's uh, turn that on and, and take a look at Genesis chapter 16. We'll read it through first. Abraham's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abraham's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge, me between, judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Well, the angel of the Lord found her by spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and there will be too many to count. Well, the angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, for she said, In this place have I actually seen the one who sees me? That is why the well is called Bir Lahai Roy. It is between Kadesh and bread. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86-year-old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Let's pray. Lord, there's a, there's a word that you have for each and every one of us today. We thank you that you have spoken through your word and that you speak through your word today. Lord, may we hear you with fresh ears. May we see the truths that you have been trying to say to us all this time. So may we focus, may we draw nearer to you, and may you be lifted up high in our lives as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you look at the first six verses here in Genesis, uh, Genesis 16, there's something powerful happening here. In a sense, there's a pattern. There's a pattern that sometimes we don't necessarily uh, clue in just through reading through you know, chapter after chapter after chapter, uh, but to kind of look and do a deep dive into the first six verses, we discover a unique pattern, a pattern that kind of comes and appears over and over again. Uh, and, and what's fascinating about this, and in general, is that, I mean, a lot of life is about patterns, right? And a lot of life, I mean, even when you go through a relationship and maybe the relationship didn't end the way that you wanted to, and, and then you enter into another relationship and that relationship doesn't end, and it kind of, the same thing happens over and over again, and, and you're always blaming that person without ever looking at yourself, Well, well, yeah, I'm sure it's their fault as well, but there's a pattern happening. Right? There's a pattern. It's, it's not only in relationships, but it comes to maybe if you're going from one employer to the next, to the next, and, and it just keeps on changing. Like, What's the pattern going on here? Right? Maybe it's disobedience if you're, uh, if you're living with your parents and you just get into fights with them over and over and over again. And you're like, why is this happening? Or conflicts with your spouse. There are patterns in life, and a lot of times if we want to break free from some of those patterns, we need to first recognize what that is. Well, let's look at the pattern here. We have it here on the screen. Uh, it's, it's kind of an a it's, it's a, it's a pattern, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. And it's, it's fascinating because if you look here, right, you got Sarah proposes, Sarah proposes. Abraham agrees, Abraham agrees. Sarah's action, Sarah's action. Hagar's reaction, Hagar's reaction. There's a pattern in these first verses, right? Just t- take a look at this, for example, with this on verse one and two right? So this is Sarah proposing, right? Abraham's wife, Sarai, had not born any children, but she you know, goes there. And then Sarai said, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave." right? So she is proposing something to Abraham. And in verse 5, we see again, then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. And she's not suggesting something, you know, by asking him a question, but she's suggesting something by outlining, you know, by trying to make everything clear. Like, come on, you have to make a decision here, right? She proposes something. So in verse two, we see that Abraham agrees at the end of verse two. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said, right? We see it also in verse six as well, right? Here, your slave is in your hands. So Sarah proposes Abraham agrees, and we see that Sarah reacts in verse 3, right? So what did Sarai do? I mean, she took Hagar, and, and you know, there was that reaction there. In the same way, in verse 6b, we see a reaction as well. Here, you know, Abraham said, okay, here you go, and then Sarai mistreated her. And then you see in both instances that Hagar reacts, right? In both instances, she's not acting, she's not Initial, you know, initiating, she's not proposing. In both instances, she reacts, and we'll get into what that means a little bit later in the service. Now, so it's not like if you look here, right, just if you were to kind of deep dive into these first six verses, it's not that this is Abraham's first time doubting. Right? We discovered that in the last couple of weeks, and if you look at all the way through uh, through Genesis up until now, and even afterwards, it's not The first time and it's not the last time that Abraham doubts and has trouble interpreting and understanding God's promises. Genesis 15, he doubted, right? And then God told him in his doubt to not be afraid and that God is his shield. We saw last week that Abraham and Sarah doubted and they said, okay, here is my plan. Well, God says, hey, you Have you are going to have an heir, right? You are going to have an heir, and the heir is not only going to come from your own body, but they're going to be. You're going to have so many that they're going to be like the stars in the sky. We see that in Genesis 12 as well. I mean, I mean, I mean, God telling Abraham in Genesis 12 that he's going to be a blessing to the nation. So when God meets Abraham here in his doubting and in his despair, we see in chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord. Right? We see that. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. It says Abraham believed. In his doubt, in his despair, in his trying to figure out what God is doing in this situation that he's living through right now, God promises Abraham believes, right? He has faith, he believes. So if Abraham had such a mountaintop experience in 15, why does he become so passive in 16, right? And why is Sarah doubting so much? I mean, did Abraham just experience all of that in Genesis 15 and in the years before and just go to bed and be like, oh, okay, well, that was that day. And I mean, God hasn't done anything recently. So I'm, you know, I forgot all about that right? Does Abraham kind of like go to bed without sharing any of this to his wife, right? Abraham meets God and he just, oh, you know, Sarah's like, hey, how was your day, Abraham? And Abraham's like, oh, it was okay. (laughs) Not much happened. God talked, but that's okay. You know, I I mean, is that, do you really think that's what happened here? Like, did Sarah feel left out and that's why she wants to propose a new way of doing things? Did she not experience God like Abraham did? did? Did they not talk about what happened? I mean, what was their communication dynamic like? Right? How much did they actually talk? It's not like they had TV or Netflix that they just like get home from work and binge, you know, eat TV dinner. I mean, it's like, I mean, that's not there. Then you have a radio, right? Or like Facebook or Instagram. So what do you do with all your time, right? You got to talk, right? Did they not talk? So if God said that Abraham was going to have a child from his own body in chapter 15, why would Sarah not believe that it would be through her? Right? Why would that not be the case? I mean, she was his wife. Now, I don't know how much time passes between this mountaintop experience and in 15 to 16. Maybe it was a day, a month, a year, or a decade. But what I do know here is that there's a, distinct uh, shift that happens in their heart, right? There's a shift that happens from faith to doubt. And I know from personal experience that these kind of shifts can happen over years, but they can also happen in an instant. So just think about what Sarah must have been thinking and feeling in verse one, right? Abraham's wife, Sarah, had not born any children for him. God had talked to her husband multiple times. And even in 15, we see that they had come up with a backup plan, right? In Genesis 12, God was like, hey, Abraham, you are going to be a father to like, you know, as many as the stars in the sky, you're going to have descendants, you're going to be a blessing. I mean, so they had that initial promise right there and time passed and then they came up with a backup plan and they're like, well, I'm going to put one of my slaves as uh, as the heir of my house because I have no kids and then God says no 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 you are going to have a kid and it's through your heir that you, you are going that I'm going to bless the nations right so they came up with a backup plan and then God said nope so why would they come up with another backup plan again right what causes us to get on our knees come before the Lord and finally he answers yes you have to move here or yes uh, go pursue here or go here. You know, we're, we, we spend so much time and energy seeking God's face that we receive an answer and then a day later we forget and we're praying the exact same thing, right? What causes us as a pattern to do this? Well, think about Sarah, right? She's 75, probably been through menopause. I don't know if things were different back then because they lived longer, but I mean, you know, think about it. Probably been through menopause. So, 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 do you not think maybe, maybe that she's feeling a little insecure? Do you think maybe Sarah might be acting out of fear? I mean, how often in life do we act out of fear? Even though God said one thing and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How often do we forget that and act out of fear? How, I mean, maybe, maybe Sarah here was acting out of guilt and shame, right? Guilt, here's the difference, right? Guilt is you've made a mistake. Shame is you are the mistake, right? So Sarah feels guilty that she can't bear Abraham a child, right? She's probably like, what have I done? What mistake have I made that I can't bear Abraham a child, Right? Especially because God told him that his offspring was going to be numerous. Right? Added on to the fact that in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord. It doesn't say Abraham and Sarah believed the Lord. It said, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So maybe Sarah's like, why can't I believe and have faith like Abraham? If only God could meet me like he met Abraham, then maybe I'd have faith. But Abraham doubted too. So that's not necessarily the answer. I'm sure she felt like maybe there was something in, in, the, in, those, in those, you know, sleepless nights trying to figure out, okay, God, is what you said true? And those sleepless nights trying to figure out, why can I not bear a child? I'm sure she thought oh, it's probably because I did this or probably because I made this mistake or because of this. And maybe, maybe, and she's blaming herself, right? She has so much guilt there and likely that guilt turned into shame and she was like, maybe, maybe it wasn't something that I did. Maybe I'm just the mistake. Maybe I am the reason, right? And she starts blaming her, her, herself here. And how often do we do the same thing as Sarah? That we think we heard from God and as time passes, we forget and it takes too long. And we're just like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if God spoke in the first place. We see here in this passage that sin begets sin when we don't wait. I mean, think about this notion of timing. It's funny, uh, last Sunday at... Um, uh, Victoria's Sunday school teacher at Mount Juliet, at at our Mount Juliet campus, came up to me afterwards and and he he was like, I have never met a kid as excited about Prime Day as your daughter. (laughs) Anyone shop on Prime Day this week? Right? I know it's like this big mess and that, you know, it was like Amazon take my money, but I can't, you know, it was just like, it was a huge mess. But literally her Sunday school teacher said, why is your daughter so excited about Prime Day? Well, it's because she wanted to buy a Kindle, right? She had been saving her money, $70. She had been saving, like literally, she has never bought anything this expensive. She was saving so much of her money, and she was like, she wanted, and she finally, you know, her pr- prime day, it was going to be on sale, and, you know, she, she was going to get it. So we buy it. And she's like, where is it? And I'm like, well, they got to ship it. And she's like, can't we just go to a store and pick it up? I was like, no, that did, Amazon doesn't work like that. And then when we got it, she's like, so can I have it? And I was like, we're like, no, you only have $60. You need to earn another 10 before you get this. And she's like, okay, can I go pull weeds? Because we'll, we pay them extra to pull weeds. <laughs> I don't want to pull. I pulled my back last time I pulled weeds. So I was like, <laughs> you know, you can pull, we'll pay like 10 bucks, right? Go pull weeds. And she hasn't done it yet because it's been hot this week. Right? In our culture, everything is instant, right? If we don't get something the moment we want, it's hard. Unfortunately, that seeps into our understanding of God. That we pray, and if God doesn't answer, if God doesn't ship, you know, the the package the same day, you know, we doubt. And we're like, God, maybe you didn't even speak. Maybe did I even order this? Right? It's like it's been three days. God, and there's no package, right? We do this, we do this, and we forget about it. The thing is, when God says something, and when God answers, and when God finally meets you, you can't assume that the timing is now. The reason we always think it's now is because the way the culture, our culture, has changed us, has shaped our thinking. And we see here, Abraham and Sarah, I mean, they were thinking that it was now as well when God spoke. So what did they do? Well, because the package didn't come in two days, because, because God didn't answer immediately, well, they took matters into their own hands, right? Sarah could see how God um, couldn't, like she couldn't see, she couldn't see how God could fulfill his promise through her. So she starts coming up with option B, Right, she begins to blame herself. She begins to think that it's her fault that it's not happening. So she just she makes an executive decision for her entire family. She's like, Here, my slave, here, you go ahead. Go do this. Right? She makes an executive decision. We don't she doesn't even come before God, as you see here in Genesis Genesis sixteen. Right? She doesn't worship him. She doesn't seek his face on this matter. She doesn't pray. She doesn't build an altar as they were doing, you know, as they would do back in that time, she just makes an executive decision. And in verse two, she says, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. See that language? She begins blaming God now. She probably blamed herself and now she begins blaming God. Since the Lord has prevented me from, you know, bearing children, it's obviously not going to happen. And yeah, it's true that it hadn't happened till now, but who's to say that God couldn't do it through her later? She shut God out. How often do we shut God out of our plans because he hasn't acted as quickly as we wanted him to? She assumes that God had spoken and she misheard. So we noticed this pattern earlier, right? Sarah takes things into her own hands twice. She tells Abraham to marry her slave and have sex with her. And then she blames Hagar for getting pregnant. It was like, do you not understand how this happens? And, you know, literally, she blames Hagar for getting pregnant. And, and it was like, well, you, it was kind of your idea. So did Sarah, like, expect Hagar to be as infertile as her? Was she maybe trying to do this because she was like, maybe it's not my fault. Maybe it's Abraham's fault. Maybe Abraham's an infertile one. Right? Imagine everything that must be going through her mind in this. I feel like we often give Sarah a bad rap, right? And, and, I, and I'm trying to make you feel empathetic toward her right now to kind of justify or, or help you understand what she might have been thinking through because we often see her as the one who did wrong. But to be honest, just think about the pain that she must be feeling through her infertility. Right? Just think about the, the restless, the sleepless nights that she must have been going through. Especially because God said he was going to bless the nations through them. Just imagine how many times she even felt like she was the barrier between God blessing everyone else. What's fascinating is that Genesis 16.3 has the same progression of verbs as in the fall at Genesis 3.6. It's the exact same progression of verbs. Took and gave. Took and gave. How often is sin, does sin happen in our life because of this same pattern? I wonder if God's trying to tell us something regarding taking matters into our own hands without relying on him and trusting in him. I wonder if this is a pattern in your life Well, just as sin begets sin when we don't wait, sin also begets more sin when we interfere. And while we might initially blame Sarah for taking matters into her own hands, I wonder if there was a conflict in their marriage or a lack of communication that led to this sudden dynamic change in their marriage. I mean, why is Abraham all of a sudden so passive? Right, why is he so passive in this? Did Sarah not feel loved? Did Sarah not feel protected and cherished? Was Sarah maybe hoping that she would say, hey, since the Lord has prevented me, you know, go to my slave. Was she hoping that Abraham would say never? You know, is that maybe the response she was expecting? Like, why did Abraham say, oh, okay, sure, fine. That's, that's okay. Was Abraham subtly maybe doing that because he blamed her for not bearing kids, for being old, for being past age. I mean, I wonder what the feel was in their home day in and day out. Now, regardless of who sinned first and how we got to this point, we see here that sin begets sin. A lack of faithfulness and trusting in God's timing led Sarah to sin more and take matters into her own hands. And when she does this, she sins against Abraham. She sins against Hagar And when Hagar finally gets, I mean, look at this, when Hagar finally gets something that her master Sarah doesn't have, what does she do? She lifts her head a little bit, right? She begins to think, oh, maybe I was the chosen one and not Sarah. Pride begins to seep into her heart. And what does that do? It begets even more sin in Sarah. So what does Sarah do? Sarah drives her out. Right, Abraham sins by shrugging off responsibility for all that happened, just like Adam did. Abraham basically tells Sarah, well, deal with your slave the way that you want, even though, according to one commentator, Abraham is the one that had the judicial authority to effect a change. According to this commentator, Abraham, up till now, has not acted to protect his marriage. He passively just lets it be. So what happened to Abraham? When you look, you know, in chapter 14, when you look at the previous verses, you know, chapters, and look at how Abraham acted, even in relation to Lot, I mean, Abraham was valiant. He was the protector. He was bold. What happened between then and now that all of a sudden he's this passive dude sitting on a couch saying, whatever? Right, Abraham is not acting as he should, I mean, didn't God come to Abraham in a vision and not Sarah? Like, how could Abraham act like this after this mountaintop experience? He's passive. He's not active. I mean, is this what sin does to our hearts and our lives? Does sin cause us to be passive? Does sin cause us to move from faith to doubt? Does sin cause us to neglect responsibility? To forget what God said? To forget how God has acted? Does sin cause us to shift blame? And doesn't sin just lead to more sin? Well, thank the Lord that in verse 7, God is faithful and he intervenes. And if you look at chapter 16, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur, he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Sarai, uh, the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority, right? God finds Sarah, uh, God finds Hagar in her running in verse seven, right? The angel of the Lord, take a look at this, the angel of the Lord calls Hagar by her name, That's not what you did back then. Slave you would call, you're my slave. You didn't give slaves the dignity by calling them by their name. Or you'd call them, oh, you're the slave of Sarai. No, the angel of the Lord calls Hagar by her name. Aren't you glad that God has found us, that he finds us in our running. Aren't you glad that no matter how far away we might run, there's never a place that you can run that God cannot find you, that he cannot see you, that he cannot rescue you? Or some of you may be running away from him now. In verse eight, we hear the angel of the Lord speaking to her. Hagar, where are you coming from and where are you going? And then in the following verses, we see God's command to her to go back to the one hurting you. Right? We see God's command to her, go back to the one who is hurting you, submit to her, and then I will bless you. Right? He is asking her to submit when it doesn't make sense and to submit to someone who is unworthy of submission. Friends, this is hard. Right? It's hard to submit to God's ways, especially when he doesn't consult us first right? I mean, come on, like God, you know, at least consult me before leading me down a particular path. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to submit. It's hard to not be the boss. And men, it's hard to submit to a boss that's less qualified than you, right? It's hard for everyone to submit to someone who's a jerk. It's hard to submit to people who wield their power around, their weight around on a power trip. And woman, it's hard to submit to a husband that hasn't earned it. Now, FYI, I'm not talking about submitting to an abusive husband here. If you're in a physically or emotionally abusive relationship, yes, you do need to get help. Perhaps God can restore the marriage, but it's going to be hard unless you get help first. We see in this passage that God calls us to submit to authority, but he also says, trust me. He says, submit, but trust me because I see you. Because I got you. In verse 13, we see this, right? So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy. For she said, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? El Roy, the one who sees me. Hagar experiences God's ability to see her and come to her in her deepest hour of affliction. What's fascinating is we don't see this kind of interaction between Sarah and God, but we see this interaction between God and Hagar. That in our deepest moments of despair, when we feel like we've been forgotten, when we feel like no one notices us, when we feel like God doesn't notice us, when we feel like everyone has turned their backs on us, God says, I see you. I love what one commentator says about this. I mean, notice what happens here. Verse 13. So it's kind of weird here, right? So she named the Lord. You know it's not so she named the Lord Elroy. This is the only instance in the Bible where a human being is represented as conferring a name on God. Right? One commentator says that Hagar gives God a name that expresses his special significance to her. She responds to the person and not to the promise. She no longer gloats that she is pregnant but she marvels at the Lord's care for her. Isn't this amazing? That God sees our most minute and strenuous details and needs through miles of obstruction. Now here's a question to think about. Does God ever need our help? We see in this passage that Abraham and Sarah are still learning this, right? He's still, they're still learning what this means. I mean, just think about this for a moment. What was the result of them trying to help God? Let me say that again. What was the result of Abraham and Sarah trying to help God accomplish his promise? It's like, God, maybe you're too busy that I know you spoke, but you're, maybe you're a little bit too busy, so I'm going to help you out. I mean, you, you spoke it was you said, it was going to happen anyway. It's not like I'm doing something you didn't say. You said this was going to happen, that I was going to have a kid, but you're taking your time, so I will help you, God, have a kid. Right? I mean, what was the result of them trying to help God? What's the result? What happens every time you try to help God accomplish his purposes? Strife in the home, right? Right? Sin begets sin. I mean, take a look at this. Sarah tries to help God. So what, is, what happens? She loses respect. Sarah loses respect because Hagar doesn't respect her anymore. And then what happens? Hagar loses a home. And then Abraham experiences heartache for a lost wife, right? They got married. Hagar and Abraham got married and now he doesn't have his, uh, his other wife anymore and he loses his son. And then we see the impact and effect of that sin from generation to generation all the way to today. So, well, I mean, thank God that though we often act because we can't wait for God in his timing, thank God that in our disobedience, God shows his grace and showers his compassion when we humble ourselves, right? And we see what happens when Hagar humbles herself. God sees her. God sees her. God, in fact, blesses her. So when we approach God in humility, when we lay down our wills, when we lay down our heart, when we lay down our attention, when we lay down our lives before God, it's in that moment that God says, all right, let's get going. Have you ever wrestled through a decision and it wasn't until you finally gave up it wasn't until you finally stopped twisting God's arms, tried to make things go your way that God finally came through. All right, I remember a moment, even for my wife and I as we were praying to come down and move down here to Nashville. I mean it was a -- I mean, it was what a five or six-month discernment process that we had to try to figure out if God was leading us down this way. And, and there were moments where I was like, yeah, I mean, there is no way that God isn't doing that. God is totally calling us down. Here. And I was like, I was so convinced in my, in my, in my devotions, in my prayer time, and my worship time, that God was calling us down here. But we didn't agree. And then there were times where I wasn't sure and, and Christina was sure and, and, and there was just not this level of agreement and, and then it, it hit in my heart. I was like, yeah, but I really do want to come down and, and I feel it. And I was, I was like, okay, God, so please, this is what my prayer time was, please convince Christina that we are supposed to move down, right? And I was like, because God spoke, right? Why do I have to ask God for clarity when he's already spoken clearly? right and it wasn't until the moment i was like well actually did i hear from god did i not hear i I, you know actually god i'm gonna i'm gonna give it all up i'm gonna stop trying to twist your arm and stop trying to convince christina and stop trying to make everything look better you know life is better and obviously you know we lived in a place for six months out of the year's winter so anything sounded better than that (laughs) but i didn't have to bring that up all the time right it wasn't until I gave that up that God finally came through. And, and my question to you today as I, as I want to ask the worship team to come up, the question that I want to ask you to wrestle with, and we're going to spend some time here in prayer, is is there a decision that you are wrestling through? Is there a situation that you have been coming before God with? Is there maybe someone or something that you have been praying for that you actually gave up because God hadn't come through? That maybe you are sensing God saying, hey, I actually want you to pray for your lost parents right now. I want you to Start praying again for your sisters or brothers that don't know the Lord. I want you to start praying for reconciliation upon that 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 strife that conflict that you had with that person that you gave up you you yeah at one point you did give that up, but why are you feeling this in your heart again? Do you have instances do you have situations do you have do you have these moments, these things that you need to actually bring before God again. Let's close our eyes right now. As we see in this passage, twisting God's arms, trying to make Him work in your timeline. Results in sin after sin, after disappointment, after shame, after guilt, after and even more sin. Friends, if you can leave with anything today, I want you to leave with this truth hidden in your heart God is God, He is sovereign over your circumstances. His ways are not your ways. A day to you is like a thousand years to him. A thousand years to us is like a day to him. He is over all timelines. He, his plans are actually much better than your plans, no matter what you are thinking or what you have conjured up or thought through or planned or tried to make happen. God is over your best efforts to intervene. So stop resisting God's timing. Stop trying to impose your timing on his. And ask the Lord for strength to wait. Even now, in your prayer time, as we sing this last song, ask God for strength to wait. Lift up every promise that, you, that, God has, that God has spoken to you. Lift up every dream that you feel like God has laid on your heart. Lift up everything to the Lord and say, Lord, here you go. I give it all to you fresh. I give it all to you again. Have your way. Let him find you. Let him love you, let him see you, let him speak to you. That thing that you are wrestling with, trust that God sees it, that God sees you and that he is going to answer.